0: When parties talk about issues, they often talk about them in a negative way. And what you need to do as a mediator when you're identifying the key issues from both perspectives is put them on the board or on the page on Zoom in a neutral way. So it's no longer said in a negative. So if someone says, I feel disrespected, I would write up respect. Being mindful about how you start, but also your tone, body language, you know, all those sort of things play your part in whether that conversation is going to go well or not.
1: G'day and welcome to the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. If you're an experienced or an emerging people manager, this is the podcast for you and I'm your host, Nina Sunday. It's the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. We discuss self-leadership and leading people. And I talk to some of the best business minds on the planet. So sit back and listen and enjoy Manage Self, Lead Others. My guest today is Scott Dutton, the conflict whisperer and global expert on difficult conversations, conflict intelligence, mediation, emotional intelligence, and workplace culture. As a professional speaker, he's known as the fun maker, and has spoken to over 25,000 professionals as a speaker and facilitator. My first question to Scott will be, exactly what does your term, conflict intelligence, describe? Please welcome Scott Dutton.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. That was a lovely intro. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> we deserve it. <laughs> and you've, you've got a term that you use, which is conflict intelligence. So can you tell us more about what that term conflict intelligence refers to, please, Scott?
0: Yeah, sure. So it's a, it's, it's a concept we've come up with uh, that's very interesting because my background is as a mediator. So I actually started as parent and adolescent mediator and spent nine years trying to assist young people to reconnect with family and prevent youth homelessness. Uh, And then we moved up to Byron from Melbourne about 17 years ago and started focusing on more workplace disputes. So I've had a lot of sort of experience in different settings, uh, as well as doing a a social work degree and a science degree. And so we've sort of brought a lot of those concepts uh, together, uh, as well as um, actually met... um, mindfulness so i uh, i've been going to an ashram in southern india for 20 plus years uh practicing meditation and mindfulness and so we sort of what we did we sort of brought all those concepts together to create conflict intelligence uh so it's a yeah it's a really interesting concept it's really about being smart with conflict to put it simply <laughs> mm, lovely um
1: Yes, and you've been sort of, it sounds like you've mm. been doing incredibly important work because um, reconciling uh, yes. estranged youth from their family is such a worthy goal. But of course, now you work yes. in the workplace, transforming yes. team culture, which is the whole point of this podcast. Because yes. I, I, I've got—I mean, I, I in a previous podcast I mentioned that I was asked to uh, describe my favorite boss. And I wrote down a list of the 12 I could remember, and I went, <laughs> none of them are my favourite. I mean, some of them were ab- abjectly terrible, and some had some redeeming features that I learned from, but no one was anyone I would role model.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. It makes me think, because I've probably worked with about 500 different organisations over the years, mainly running training and doing some keynotes, et cetera, uh, but mainly around conflict, difficult conversations and, as you say, team culture. So I've come across a lot of leaders uh, leading their teams trying to create a healthy culture. So I've certainly come across many leaders who I think are, are well, some leaders <laughs> who I think are really good at leadership. They really stand out uh, and and they're the ones that are usually most proactive in uh, in dealing with issues, so that things stay healthy, um, and it's the ones maybe struggle more to, to have those difficult conversations, that where the culture starts to unravel and can get quite unhealthy and even toxic sometimes.
1: What do you think is the key thing that makes a uh, a culture unravel, and the, and what is the toxic behaviour that you see most prevalent?
0: Yeah, look, I, I guess the things I see often is um, where I think that where there's an us and them culture, so it gets very much management versus staff, mm. uh, there's also a culture where people do not feel comfortable or safe to have those difficult conversations. Mm. And I know you've done some work on psych safety and I've done a little bit of uh, looked through Amy Edmondson's work, uh, who's done a lot on that as well. And, and you know, I think if people don't feel safe, then they're not going to be able to go and address concerns with one another, and that's when it starts to get unhealthy.
1: That's right. Uh, issues then, aren't
0: dealt with. Mm. And then
1: when there are triangles, because if someone wants to be uh, authentic and express an opinion... Yes, they may find that it's being talked about by a third party. So suddenly you've got this triangle happening where it's not confidential. uh, It's, you know, being discussed by others and then it becomes gossip. (laughs) Yep, that's Mm.
0: right. And, you know, often in my um, team culture sessions it's like, we do above and below the line behaviour, so we're very clear on what, what's okay and what's not, but it's also about how do you have those conversations and how do you know when something is like a debriefing. That's where I think teams need to have a model in how to have those difficult conversations, where it is. The one I use is based on a Harvard model, and it's very helpful because it's going in open and curious for starters. It's open and curious. Ask
1: ask questions to understand before exactly. you start. Expressing your opinion, your judgment.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And the purpose initially is to understand each other before we start looking at solutions. So it's going in very open, curious, trying to understand the other, them understanding you. And then we find a way forward. And I think if everyone has a model like that, it makes it easier.
1: So, what would be a good, safe question to ask that doesn't put the Person being asked on the defensive, is, yeah, you know, a, language style, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, oh, definitely. So, one of the things we look at, so I run a training on difficult conversations, it's the most popular training I have now. Uh, but one part we look at is how do you start the difficult conversation?
1: That's it, how to start,
0: how to start and And the funny thing is, it's exactly like, uh, you how you'd start as a mediator, so a mediator. When parties talk about issues, they often talk about them in a negative way, and what you need to do as a mediator when you're identifying the key issues from both perspectives is put them on the board or on the page on Zoom uh, in a neutral way. So it's no longer said in a negative. So if someone says, I feel disrespected, I would write up uh, respect. Right. And so if I was going to go and have a chat to you or say... uh, being late for meetings all the time, I would write up meeting times. And so when I approach, so if I was approached you, Nina, I'd say, oh, Nina, if you've got a few moments, I'm just wondering if we could have a chat about meeting times and just see if we're on the same page on that.
1: Wow. See, it's neutral. It's getting rid of negative triggers and red flag words.
0: Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: One of the one of the pieces of advice I read in a Harvard Business Review uh, bu- uh, series was starting a question with "What is the reason, not why?" And, I, and the example yes. I can remember is uh, a manager asked the payroll person, "Why did you allow Mary to have a week's holiday?" Mm, uh, mm. Instead of "What was the reason Mary was granted a week's holiday?" She was just curious; yes. she wasn't yes. accusing. But the payroll yeah. person, because it was why, it's like, well, well, you know, I, I had permission I had you weren't here and I had the right to do it. And <laughs> no, no. I just wanted to know why she needed it because it was a week that we were down on some staff. I just wanted to know, was it important?
0: Yes. Or whatever.
1: So yes. it's it's that little difference between why and what 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 was the reason? And just which is curiosity versus please explain.
0: Yes. Exactly. And, it, it, look, it's a trap that most people fall into. I see it as a trap in difficult conversations. They start in a way that provokes the other person and puts them on the back foot, and you get defensiveness. So it's really its being mindful about how you start, but also your tone and yeah. and, and how that comes across your and, and your body language. You know, all those sort of things play, play a part in whether that conversation is going to go well or not.
1: Yes. I've, um, I've come across an assertive assertiveness template that was, uh, had the acronyms BFIR, behavior, uh, feeling impact results. In other words, uh, mm-hmm. when you come late for meetings, I feel frustrated. I feel like we waste time because mm-hmm. then everybody has to repeat what was said. And what I'd like to see in future is you coming a bit early so we can all start mm-hmm. together on time. Mm. what do you think of that template or is it a bit too simplistic i think
0: i i'm not totally comfortable with it i think it's still a little bit one-sided it's not saying hey uh nina if you've got a few moments i just wanted to talk about meeting times and and i i just want to get your just some clarity on what time you you you're thinking we start or how you're finding the meetings going right. um and and you know just get a little bit of input from them first, and they go, oh yeah, no, I'm all good with meetings. And then I'd say, look, I'm not sure if you're aware, but when you're not coming at nine, what what that means is that we often delay the meetings, and we're waiting for for you to to attend, and that then impacts our ability to get through all the uh, all the agenda. And I wasn't sure you were aware of that.
1: Oh, isn't that nice? It's it's like it's like tickling with a feather. <laughs> Whereas I was, I had a sledgehammer.
0: <laughs> and look, I, I think we can be flexible because I think some people need a sledgehammer, <laughs> right. and uh, those that don't get subtlety need a sledgehammer. Um, but most people, we can be a bit more subtle with. I still want to be clear on what my issue is or what my concern is. It's just not coming in with assumptions or judgments in that, particularly in that opening statement.
1: You know, you're almost coming across as that character in that old TV show, Columbo, (laughs) where he sort of (laughs) skirted around the issue and sort of, oh, by the way... (laughs) <laughs> it's so soft it's really admirable Scott I really like it thank you
0: <laughs> yeah look it, it's it's finding that balance another little um thing I learned at Harvard I went there a few years ago did a negotiation leadership course there's this great little graph uh, that I really like and and you can bring it into a difficult conversation you bring it into conflict situations uh, where you have empathy on one axis, so you want to be empathetic and try to understand the other person's needs and their concerns and how they see things, and on the other axis is assertiveness.
1: Right. Right so it's
0: about my needs and my concerns and my perspective, giving equal validity to both. That's and right. so if you bring that mindset in, it's not all about them and it's not all about you. It's giving that, yeah, the equalness to both.
1: Yes, interesting. What's the one thing that managers could be doing that they're not doing now that, that would improve their their conversations with and giving feedback?
0: Look, I think the first thing is a lot of managers get into their roles and they have a lot of skills, but they don't have skills in every area, which is, you know, normal. (laughs) They've obviously been been identified (laughs) with some skills as a leader or a manager, Uh, but they don't always, and it's the same with conflict, they're not trained in how to deal with conflict. So if they're not trained in it, they're not sure how to do it. I just had actually a a president of a non-profit board ring me up um, just this morning and say, look, I've got this bullying situation and I'm really not sure how to deal with it we need to do something, we've done a sort of an initial investigation, can I get some advice? And I was happy to just spend 20 minutes on the phone just talking through what I think would be the appropriate way to go because you're not trained in how to deal with those sort of situations. And so managers then either put them off uh, or try to sort of bumble through it and can potentially make it worse.
1: Yes, and and it's a conscious intention to want to improve how yes. you give feedback and how you deal with conflict depending yes. on the degree of it. Isn't that right?
0: Yes, that's right. And it's it's being able to be proactive. So if you understand a model in how to deal with it, whether it be a difficult conversation or a conflict situation between staff, if you have a model, you're going to be more confident knowing how to deal with it and will be more likely to deal with it quicker rather than let it sort of fester, and then that's when it can get unhealthy and, and impact other team members as well. That ability to be proactive, and, and, and that's what I see those leaders I mentioned earlier who I feel are really great leaders is because they're open, they're honest, they're transparent, they'll have those difficult conversations, and they'll still be very supportive of staff at the same time. And they'll have, a bit like Brene Brown, really clear boundaries There'll be really clear boundaries in the workplace that people know what's okay and what's acceptable and what's not okay and not acceptable.
1: Because sometimes it's the little things that that uh, leaders really find difficult to, to even give feedback on because they think, well, it's just a small thing. They might think I'm petty. But you see, yes. the behavior you accept is the behavior you condone. And then yes. it can actually go off track. So it's about yes. fast feedback, isn't it right?
0: Yes. I agree. Fast, open, curious, still wanting to understand how they see it and then raising how you see it and then yeah. yeah, just coming to that understanding and being clear with that as well. found this little thing called calling it in or calling it out. Yes. I don't know if you've heard of that.
1: Well, I've, called the, I've heard the phrase calling it out, calling behaviour out, but I don't yes. know about what the difference is calling it in.
0: Yeah. So, so that's what I liked. It was like a subtle difference. So calling it out is like you see something really inappropriate and you go, hey, yes. hang on there. I'm really uncomfortable with that. You make uh-huh. it very clear, very firm. That's an okay, because it's likely to do harm. Calling it in is more subtle. And what it is, I might see you sort of raise an eye at someone in the meeting or do something a little bit more subtle. And I might say, "You know, I'm just... Just wondered in the me, I just saw you um, just make a an interesting facial expression when Mary was talking. I'm just wondering what was going on for you there.
1: That's that's emotional intelligence, isn't it? To be people <laughs> reading the subtle nonverbal cues that people give out, <laughs> but it's so important, isn't it? Because you're yeah. doing it from a curi- curiosity point of view. Yes, because and you're, you're still... saying, does that indicate that you're actually you have an opinion that you're not expressing?
0: Yeah, are, are you uncomfortable with what they said? Are you, uh, are you know what's going on there? I'm not coming in with judgment. I'm coming in with a soft curiosity, and still saying, "Hey, what's going on there? I saw that." Yeah. <laughs> so they're not. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now you you've used conflict and in- intelligence in a way that suggests, you know, IQ and EQ, emotional intelligence. Yes. Surely leaders have to, it's all self-leadership, the ability to improve their own self-leadership, their own self-awareness. What's one thing that a leader can do to ensure that they're improving their emotional intelligence? Mm
0: -hmm. What I see is probably the best leaders and the best teams are mindful. And and what I mean by that, because it's obviously got lots of different definitions, is, is the ability to be present. That ability when you're with staff to be present with them and not, so obviously leaders often have a lot going on, but not to be multitasking or thinking and doing other things. But right. the other component is about being aware of their presence. It, it's noticing their impact on their staff. It's noticing what they say, how they say it, and even sometimes how much they say. Because sometimes the best leaders will shut up a bit, and let others talk <laughs> and give others space.
1: So that that requires the leader to be aware that they don't really have to be the font of all knowledge, the de- no. decision-maker. Yes. They can actually go to their people with questions rather than with answers.
0: Yes. yes. And there's a there's a um, little uh, case study in that Amy Edmondson's safety book that I really like, and that there's a, I think there's a fashion designer, uh, might be Eileen Fisher, but don't quote me on that. But she says she's a, a don't knower. She don't she she's very clear that there's a lot of information she does not know, and what she said is that that empowers people to be able to step up and invite people for their thoughts and opinions as well.
1: Right. So they might phrase the question. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, ha- the best way to resolve this problem, what thoughts do you have? Like being willing yes. to say that, I'm uh, I'm yes. wondering what might be uh, some yes. solutions to this, and there's probably more than yes. one solution.
0: Yes, exactly, and it's that, that psych safety concept of being honest about what you don't know, being transparent that you don't know everything as a leader.
1: Which is the absolute opposite of what's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> Where you, you the more you are quite pompous about what you know and you probably know the least <laughs> There are these characters that they know everything but actually they they're not doing any research or or, or, or oh. uh, uh, enough exploration to actually be mm. be a know-it all. <laughs> Is there any book that that uh, a, a middle manager or a senior leader can read that will actually help them in all the things we've been talking mm-hmm. about?
0: I don't read a lot of books, but I do run a lot of training, and I know they're very helpful, but that's uh, that's being biased. But I do really think whether they come to mine or someone else's, it's just getting that that skilling up in in how to do these really very tricky things. Uh, I don't think it comes naturally to many people to be able to deal with conflict really effectively and confidently and and the same as difficult conversations. I don't think it's it comes naturally to many people. So most, Leaders, most managers need to be trained in how to do it. But once they've got that, then, you know, they can go and really, you know,
1: smash it out, I
0: reckon. Exactly. Mm.
1: So an evolving manager is a learning manager and they can't continue to evolve if they're only working with input, the input that they've got up till now. It's like it's always getting fresh input.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly.
1: Because there's definitely new trends in, in, in team culture because I do yeah. know that the reason I had such poor managers is it was not the trend to even think about no. culture uh, two no. decades ago. It's it's definitely no. come come of age in the last yes. uh, well decade or two. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. But look, I, I get a couple of books. I think are worthwhile. Is that Amy Edmondson' um, psychological safety, uh, fearless organization? I think it's called, and and the difficult conversations um, from Harvard under the Harvard negotiation project so they're two great books um that are very helpful um yeah
1: all right so um this this um podcast goes all over the world so can people in other time zones uh connect with you online do you ever do online training a lot yeah, yeah. They can
0: they can come. They'll just have to get up early.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: No, I No, we can be flexible. But yeah, no, they can connect if if I can assist in any way. Um, yeah, I've done stuff all over the world. So uh happy to uh happy to assist in any way
1: yeah and of course uh, your your contact details will be in the show notes thank you so much scott you've got uh, a very busy schedule and you're actually uh, on site there today away from home uh doing uh, getting ready for training so thank you so much for for your time today i really appreciate it
0: thank you nina it was lovely lovely chatting
1: This episode, we've been speaking with Scott Dutton on the Manage Self, Need Others podcast for experienced and emerging people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and we interview experts who share insights on how to elevate and transform team culture. Until next time, see you then. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.